Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, Ron has already hinted that our scripture passage for today is probably not one that we have read a whole lot. And so I feel that it is appropriate for me to start out with a confession for you with you all this morning. When it comes to books of the Bible that I have not spent a lot of time reading, the book of Hebrews is on that list. Now, I know that I've read probably parts of it at one time or another, but when it came time on Monday for me to open my Bible and to read our passage for this week and to begin preparing a sermon, I had to sing the New Testament books of the Bible song in my head to remind myself where Hebrews falls in these group of letters towards the end. Do you know the song that I'm talking about? It starts with, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. How many of you know this song? All right, we got some work to do. That's fine. It is, it is very helpful when you are trying to remember the order of the minor and major prophets or the letters that Paul has written in the New Testament. And so I needed a refresher on where to find the book of Hebrews, which for the record comes between Philemon and the book of James. But as I started flipping through the chapters, I was also surprised that I had not read this book very well. Even though I spent four years as a religion major in college and four years in seminary and I'm a preacher's kid, this book of Hebrews is not one that I feel like we spend enough time in. But I can let you know also that after this week, I think this is a book that I may return to time and time again because it is rich with so much and has so much for, uh, so much to offer us. The book of Hebrews was actually a letter that was written most likely for Jewish Christians who were living in the city of Jerusalem. Early scholars believed that this was a letter that was written by Paul, but present day scholars think that it was probably written by someone who was a follower of Paul and learned from Paul, and that they decided to write this letter and attempted to sound like Paul as they were writing it. But there's some characteristics of it that don't quite feel like Paul is writing. So we don't actually know for sure who has written this letter that is now turned into a book, but we do know that they were one of the earliest members of the faith that we now call Christianity. The purpose of this letter was to encourage this group of Jewish Christians because many in their community were being persecuted because of their faith. It has been a couple of decades since the death and resurrection of Jesus, but the Roman Empire is still in charge and calling the shots, and they're getting a little exhausted and tired of the Jewish Christians trying to form a more official and structured group. And so they're beginning to stop letting this group of early believers off the hook as easily as they once were. I imagine that the Romans were pretty frustrated and angry that their big display of power when they crucified Jesus didn't last very long. First and foremost, Jesus didn't stay dead, which threw a big wrench in their plans. 
But not only that, Jesus has now ascended into heaven and is no longer physically present on the earth. And so I imagine that the Romans were thinking that now that this leader is no longer here, maybe the novelty that came with following this charismatic person would wear off. And that people who were following the teachings of Jesus and sharing the stories of Jesus would slow down and would give up. But in fact, the opposite is happening. The number of Christ followers is increasing. And even though the Roman Empire is huge and powerful, it's clear that they are nervous about this small group who is increasing in number. And so the way that they try to control this group is to put Jewish Christians in jail, or as we read in our passage today, to torture them or even kill them. I can imagine that the Jewish Christians who were present were starting to feel a little disheartened and that they were probably feeling scared and were beginning to wonder if they should give up on this faith of Jesus and return to the faith of their ancestors. But the writer of this Hebrew letter is doing his or her best to encourage the Jewish Christians to keep the faith. Throughout the book, the writer is introducing the idea of faith as being the courage to endure. The author, the author is suggesting that faith can only be fully understood when we look at the whole arc of the story of our faith, not just this little moment in time that we find ourselves now. Chapter 11 begins with words that are probably familiar to us. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. The verses that follow give the reader and the listener examples of what our faith requires of us, not just a definition of what faith is. Throughout the beginning of chapter 11, the writer mentions stories and people from the First Testament or the Old Testament. Names like Abel and Noah, Abraham and Sarah and Moses. The writer provides a Cliff Notes version of the events that happened in the lives of these faith ancestors of ours, because the writer knows that all that is needed is to remind the listeners of these stories, because the listeners will remember where these stories came from. Remember that these are Jewish Christians who are hearing this letter. They would have grown up going to temple and sharing the stories of their faith around their family tables. These stories would have rested deeply in their souls because they were more than just stories of historical people. They were stories about their family. When we get to verse 28 of chapter 11, though, our passage takes a shift and it feels different. The pace increases. The writer doesn't spend time giving specific details or giving names of people of, that have helped keep the faith. The writer even says in verse 32, there just isn't enough time of me, for me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all of the prophets. So we get a quick flyover of the things that these judges and prophets did during their time and the things that they experienced. But just like the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Moses, the people hearing this letter would remember the stories of the judges and the prophets and would know the fear and persecution that they faced. 
When we arrive in verse 35 and go through verses 37, the tone changes again. The writer is giving examples of ways that people have been tortured and persecuted and even killed. And there may very well be people in the Bible who were treated this way, but I think more than that, the writer includes these in the letter because the writer knows that the people hearing these words would have witnessed these horrific things happening. I wonder if when this group of listeners was gathered and were listening to this letter being read, and when they heard these words to describe how people were being treated, if instead of having the faces of Abraham and Moses or the prophets in their mind, the faces of their faith ancestors, if they had the faces of their fathers and mothers and aunts and cousins and neighbors, this part of the passage feels very personal and very difficult for the listeners to hear because the stories were not about their faith family from generations ago. It was about their families right now. I believe that the writer is including these two kinds of stories for a reason. It is a reminder to those of us who are hearing this letter today, a thousand years ago, a thousand years in the future. It is a reminder that sometimes our faith leads to amazing results, like being able to cross on dry land through the Red Sea. But sometimes our faith also means us being courageous in the face of persecution and torture. And while I don't think that any of us will find ourselves meaning to part a sea, or will find ourselves facing horrific religious persecution in the days ahead, the lesson for us is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was originally written. You do not journey alone. Do not lose faith. The beginning of chapter 12 reminds us that we are not the first, nor are we the last of those who will follow Jesus and love God. The writer calls on the people to remember. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. In the Greek, the word for witnesses is actually translated as martyr or those who have suffered and died for the kingdom of God. Hebrews points the present believers back to the past and begs them to remember. Don't you know how you got here? Don't you remember that someone ran a race before you and your race is only just beginning? We have to remember the ones who sweat and cried and bled so that we can keep on going. This is the main goal for the writer of Hebrews, not just that those who are listening would remember the witnesses or the martyrs, the founders that came before them, but that when they remember, they would be led to run the race in front of them and to run for as long and as far and as hard as they can until it is their time, our time, to pass the baton off to the next person on the team. I wonder if we, not just in this room, but any of us in the Western world who call ourselves Christians have forgotten how important it is to compare our faith to a race that requires steadfast endurance. It seems that Christians need to remember that not only are we running a race, we are not running alone. 
we've gotten out of the habit of thinking of ourselves in a continuum. It's like we are on a relay team made up of our faith ancestors who have come before us and our faith descendants who will come after. But somewhere along the way, we have stopped training ourselves to look backwards and to see the saints who have come before us. We have stopped training ourselves to look forward and to imagine the saints that will come and continue the race after we are gone. We've gotten out of the habit of remembering where we've come from and where we are going. The author of our scripture knew that early Christians were suffering rejection and embarrassment and persecution that sometimes led to death. They were surrounded by a culture that misunderstood them and was hostile towards them, and they were inundated by tragedy. It was hard to keep going. But if they remembered the hardship of their ancestors and that they are faithfully running their part of the race, maybe then God could give them the strength to keep running, especially if they keep their eyes cast on Jesus, who himself endured pain and shame and suffering as part of his journey of the race. We all know that there is still suffering in our world. Every day the news spills out stories against hostility and violence and loss. We reel from it. We stagger under the weight of the news that we hear, and it all feels like it's too much. We may not be experiencing persecution and hardship like the readers of this letter 2,000 years ago, but we have hardship and we have challenges. What can we do about famine? What can we do about war, about gun violence, about homelessness, about lack of education in third world countries. The evil systems and institutions which shape our lives and our miseries may seem like mountains that are too high to climb, especially when we are so small. But whenever you feel like that mountain is too high to climb, when you feel like there is nothing else you have to give, remember these words from the writer of Hebrews. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us run the race with perseverance, which is set before us. We are reminded of those in our faith ancestry who come before us, facing unimaginable odds, but who still kept the faith, fought the fight, and ran the race. We can be reminded that we are not running this alone, that we are running it with those who came before, those who run with us now, and those who will run in the time ahead of us. Our individual faith journey is a lifelong relay race, which is part of God's collective relay team where we learn to keep passing the baton of God's love on to the next generation and the next and the next and that we must trust that God will be paving the way ahead of us and that God will win even if we are not there to see it happen. Keep the faith. Let's take our marks, get set, and go.